Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarrens with The Good, The Bad, and The TV on the Believe Podcast Network. It's the number one podcast network for professionals. Now, let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1975. It's the year Saigon collapses. Another Apollo takes off. Volkswagen introduces the Gulf. Ella Grasso becomes the first fully elected female governor. It's of Connecticut. And the Watergate 3, Halderman, Ehrlichman, and Mitchell... They take a fall, each sentence for conspiracy and obstruction of justice. It's also the year two would-be assassins take shots at President Ford. Let's remember that. At Wimbledon in 1975, Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe clean up, while in Japan they're hard at work developing something called the VCR. Closer to home, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham join Fleetwood Mac. Rumors, the classic album Rumors, is just two years away. And in 1975, on October 11th, the teenager, that is television, at the height of adolescence, runs away from home and winds up creating havoc in late night. In the 2004 anthology titled America in the 70s, co-editor David Farber writes this about life here in this country in the early part of that decade. Quote, the combined failures of the Vietnam War and Watergate had led reporters and editors, as well as most Americans, to conclude that an attitude of fierce skepticism, even cynicism, about the honesty, competency, integrity, even humanity of government officials, was a mandatory defense against the failures the nation had endured. End quote. Cynicism meets Saturday Night Live. A jaundiced rebuke of everything. Trivia fans know that for its first two seasons, Saturday Night Live is actually titled NBC's Saturday Night. Because when it does arrive in the fall of 1975, the title Saturday Night Live is already taken by rival network ABC for its widely publicized but boneheaded TV series called Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell, a primetime variety show premiering around the same time. Critics, along with audiences, dub that thing Saturday Night Dead soon after it shows up, and it limps along for 18 episodes until expiring in January of 1976. Thereafter, NBC takes ownership of the Saturday Night Live title, though it doesn't start using it for its late-night show until 1977. At a time when the variety show genre that TV was built on is running on fumes, Saturday Night Live comes along and recharges it, even reinvents it, albeit outside of primetime, in late night, past primetime curfew, you might say, which I guess I just did. It was conceived so that NBC could keep the network audience it already has Monday through Friday nights with Johnny Carson's super popular Tonight Show, reruns of which it had been running in late night on weekends. That didn't sit well with Carson's camp and eventually enter, uh, enter producer Lauren Michaels, charged with coming up with something else, something new, something young. And that's the key word, young. A different young or young skewing celebrity each week hosting a live 90-minute showcase of sketches and music where the young cast of comedic regulars drafted from the subversive improv comedy scenes of New York and Chicago and Toronto, and young progressive musical acts, all in an appeal to young viewers. 
Whatever was perceived to be traditional TV was kept at a door, nailed shut from the other side. No adults allowed. The premiere episode of NBC's Saturday Night on October 11, 1975, sets the tone. Countercultural stand-up comedian George Carlin is host, and Janice Ian and Billy Preston are the musical guests. It introduces regular comedic features like The Bees, adult-skewing Muppet creatures from Jim Henson, a snarky review of the week's events by way of Weekend Update, anarchic humor from comedian Andy Kaufman, and mini films from Albert Brooks, plus the signature Live from New York line. In the weeks that follow, hosts include Rob Reiner, Paul Simon, Candace Bergen, and Lily Tomlin. Musical performers include Randy Newman, Phoebe Snow, Loudon Wainwright III. It's an unconventional live TV show, and it's landed in late night, and it's watched. NBC, NBC finds itself with a hit show. Two months in, with its seventh episode on December 13th, NBC's Saturday Night announces itself as even more than that. It's actually a game changer. By and for a new generation of rule breakers and convention disregarders who know that TV needs to start reflecting a realer world which on this night it does. Reigning stand-up King Richard Pryor hosts. That's tip-off number one. Tip-off number two, given Pryor's reputation at the time, NBC's live Saturday night goes on the air for the first time with a seven-second delay. Soon after the monologue, so far so good, comes a sketch that will define Pryor, the show, late-night TV, even the generation that watches it. It features the comedian as a job applicant being interviewed by a seemingly benign white hiring manager played by Chevy Chase. It starts out fine, but soon devolves into the manager provoking the applicant, Pryor, with a series of racial epithets. And it ends with a vicious, aggressive use of the ultimate one, that one, the N1. It's the N word heard around the dial and around the country. Did Saturday Night really do what it did? Did it say what it said? Did it really go all in on the country's racial divide by inflaming it in a TV comedy sketch? Wasn't its use of the word spear chucker enough to make its point? The sketch is all anybody is talking about. Well, the sketch and the show. Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night, never looks back. Establishing the new late night show as that kind of show. Capitals T K. NS. It's the it show for a new America and the must-see TV entry for a college-age audience, feverish for each week's poking of the establishment bear. It's a Monday morning must-talk-about comedy, too. If the show sometimes wades in shallow streams of not-so-subtle oral sex or masturbation jokes, well, you win some, you lose some. Taboos are smashed either way, and taboos being smashed is what it's about. And it becomes well-known for its Albert Brooks shorts and then its commercial parodies for everything from Second Amendment advocacy and a great parody called America, Show Us Your Guns to a high-fiber serial, a commercial for colon blow. Even the below-the-belt material, such as the Claudine Langer Invitational Ski Tournament, and you'll want to look that one up, is worth its weight in bold. A year into the new show, Chevy Chase, who'd become its most, who had become its most familiar face, if not its focus, leaves for a film career, the result of which that the show 
now more of an ensemble, becomes even more popular, even more must-see, especially so when Bill Murray joins the cast in 1977. These first five years, the first with Chase and then the rest with Murray, are considered by most viewers and pundits as the show's bests, with purists likely citing the 1977-78 season as the best of the best, the first with the new title, Saturday Night Live. This is the season of Elvis Costello appearing and then getting banned, of Dan Aykroyd starting to call Jane Curtin an ignorant slut on Weekend Update, the season that introduces Roseanne Rosanna Dana and the Anyone Can Host contest winner, and Samurai Night Fever, of the Cheeseburger Sketches and the Czech Brothers, of Steve Martin's King Tut, and of Chevy Chase returning to host, getting into a physical fight backstage with Bill Murray. The award-winning late-night NBC franchise Saturday Night Live and franchise is what it becomes, launching spin-offs of its characters and sketches and its repertory players into films and stage and separate TV projects for more than the 45 years to come. This thing seems comparable spikes and many dips in quality and popularity over the course of its lifetime. It makes stars as it makes headlines, it takes lumps as it takes shots. It's both the object and subject of countless pieces of social commentary. It stands as a piece of social commentary. And it stands as both a milestone for network TV and a landmark for pop culture, representing different claims for different generations. Certainly, it plays a huge role in the 1970s TV revolution as it paves the way for what comedy is today. You gotta believe. Hey, send us some questions and feedback and suggestions on Twitter, Use at Believe Podcasts or at Believe.com. That's also where you can get some info on advertising on this on any list or any Believe show, especially mine. Do you believe? Here's hoping you do and that you'll subscribe to us, maybe even rate the show. Find us on iTunes and your other favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher Luminary, and TuneIn. This is Jim McCarrens. We'll talk again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.